So it turns out everyone, even all your childhood heroes, are creepy perverts. Hey guys, welcome to the third episode of our very unimportant podcast that we like to do when we get bored and don't have as much things as much stuff to do this is the hurricane episode as we are prepping for hurricane florence and we have all had all of our classes canceled and so we are (laughs) hanging out hanging around with the dogs and we're gonna make another podcast for you whether you like it or not this is the truth uh so welcome to our third podcast uh today we're gonna be talking about some heavy stuff but we're also gonna do like a quick recap talk about the summer highlights it's obviously been quite some time since we've published a podcast um so why is that what has been going on in our lives (laughs) it is truly a mystery and it is truly exciting watch this mystery unfold in the next 20 minutes um So, okay, so, yeah, what have you been up to this summer, Becca? I think we, our last one was, like, in April, maybe, perhaps? Mayhaps. That's okay. Oh, the dogs are going to bark because Miriam's mom is home. But, basically, I worked all summer, full-time, coffee shop, Summit Coffee, shout out. Um, Also, we have to share one mic, so it's going to be a lot less interrupty than our previous podcast, which will probably be a good thing, but it's also something we're getting used to because normally we just talk over each other. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's going to be kind of weird to actually have to take turns. But I pretty much worked all summer. I actually went to Greece with my cousin Jake. Shout out Jake Klein. for I know, I know me too. <laughs> I know. For two weeks at the beginning of August. It was a ton of fun. Um, we got to see the National Museums in Athens and Heraklion, which was really cool as someone who is interested in archaeology. Those were the highlights. Nice. Now I am in grad school for anthropology. What are you doing now? Thank you. She landed in very close to me. Um, and I'm doing a lot of reading and a lot of writing and a lot of stressing. Here's Miriam. <laughs> Thanks, Becca. That was great. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did finish grad school in May. I think that's kind of when, I don't know, like I think before I was like, I have time or like I procrastinated all my homework by doing like oh, researching for podcasts and like, I don't know, or like, I mean, it was just two, so not that much, but like. And then I, like, had comps, and, like, it was crazy, and exams, and, oh, it doesn't matter, comps aren't, this is, like, so long ago, it doesn't even matter anymore, but I do have my master's, I passed my comps, um, that's exciting, um, and then this summer, my first summer outside of college and, and graduate school, I spent in Ecuador, <laughs> I'm just kidding, in Ecuador, and, um, <laughs> And it was really awesome. I worked with Brad Reed to study abroad. I did not babysit. I nannied, thank you. No, I was I was a Spanish instructor and a trip leader, and it was really awesome. Led two groups of, of high school students around Ecuador. Um, like, how long were it? Like, seven, eight weeks. Um, it was awesome. It was really fun and really hard work, but a lot of fun. And now I'm back at Wilmington working for UNCW, at teaching two classes, Spanish 201. And 120, what up? It was, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're we're in Winston because Florence is coming in hot, and I mean, <laughs> coming in. Wilmington is is gonna be. It, it, well, I'm, we're nervous. I'm worried about everything that I left there and the fact that it was fuck. This is really hard to share the microphone because, um, yeah, she left. She brought like two pairs of pants back, and that's it. So like everything is gonna get flooded. <laughs> It's but fine. I just bought a new bike and a new bookshelf. It's I bought a new bed. Like I bought it. Like I just bought a mattress. I think that makes me officially an adult. 
So uh, I'm going to be pretty destroyed if it also gets destroyed along with my adulthood and my sense of competency and or competence. competence. But also um, shout out to UNCW for canceling classes. So her first semester of being a professor is going to not start until like halfway through the semester. I know I've only taught one week of class. It's insane. I tried to get my kids homework while, like during the hurricane, which is like right now. I mean, the hurricane hasn't started, but I was like, y'all can do some homework. Uh, and they were <laughs> not happy about that. Um, so it's, it's a weird switch for being a student to an instructor per se. But um, <laughs> we're, we're going for it. Um, okay, Becca, any like any summer highlights, any like favorite songs, favorite books, favorite things you read, favorite shows, anything? We want to do like a little fun because we're so fun. Okay, well, you have to pass the mic after you I ask a question. Okay. All right. Oh, we're chilling. Um, my New Year's resolution at the end of last year, after I graduated, because I graduated Davidson in uh, December, was to read more. And so I actually spent the first, whatever, six or seven months of the year of 2018 reading a lot of the books that had been on my list. And that was a lot of fun. And I was glad that I had time to do that before I started this master's program, because now I don't have any time to read what I would like to read. But the things we are reading are really cool. They're just not, you know, books for pleasure. Um... I read Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. That was a really great one. Ended up getting a tattoo about that one. And I really liked The Road by Cormac McCarthy. It was super dark. Oh, and I read that in the same day that I read um, Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Had a bunch of nightmares that night. It was a lot of fun, but they were very weird books, which is obviously the best kind of books. Here's Miriam again. Oh, just like really quickly, because Becca mentioned a tattoo. Oh, yeah. uh, we got, <laughs> I came back from Ecuador and I was like, what's happening with my life? What is adulthood? Where is everything going? And <laughs> we, so we got like impulsive. two tattoos. One of them was impulsive and the other one was one we had actually been planning since like senior year of high school, but we never actually got it. And Miriam was mad at me for five years about it. But so now we finally got it. Because last time we decided to get a tattoo together, we went to the tattoo parlor and then lo and behold, Becca gets a tattoo of something else that she wants. And so <laughs> then I didn't get one. Um, but now we do have two matching tattoos. I have two tattoos. Becca probably has like 20. But uh, yeah, so I think that's pretty They're cool. We'll, we'll post a picture of them. Since that's what they always say on My Favorite Murder is that we'll post pictures on our, our socials is what they call it. Our socials. We our social security numbers. already did post pictures of them, I think, because we obviously can't not share pictures of ourselves. <laughs> this is true. Uh, it's had on my wrist. Like, oh, I do yeah. not know. And so we um, were subconsciously inspired by that Drake song, uh, but... I don't know how to pronounce it, first of all. And second of all, um, yeah. we are we will post a picture once we take a cute one of our rib tattoos with the drake lyric underneath so stay stay tuned stay tuned um <laughs> awesome so i just wanted to share that about the tattoos because it's muy emocionante um okay i feel like i had did i yeah i did my updates i guess um i feel like i had to, oh right for me oh you read like cool oh, yeah. stuff okay. i didn't probably read it i was like literally working so much this summer it was insane. Um, I would I'd like to say that there are different um, expectations for each of us because Miriam is a Capricorn and there's no way I'll ever be able to work as hard as a Capricorn. So I just need <laughs> everyone to You know. worked so much this summer. I just We just had different jobs. Yeah, and they're different kinds. Like you, you do a lot of like emotional labor and I do probably zero and I just do like work full time in a coffee shop and that's a lot different. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, so I read, well, I haven't super finished it, but I read most of Angry White Men by Michael Kimmel, which is amazing. My dad read it, who is a white man. He's not really like an angry person, um, like surprisingly, like most white men are, I guess. Um, but it's crazy good. I realize the title is uh, 
provoking to say the least. Okay. Um, provocative to say the least. Um, but it's really good. Y'all should check it out. Uh, it has a lot of information, a lot of research on power dynamics and racism and, and white men and abuse and, and violence against women and all the good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's really eye opening. I think it, uh, helps maybe white men who feel really attacked by <laughs> their privilege. I don't, <laughs> I don't like, or in fact, atta- feel attacked by the way that their privilege is talked about these days um and it talks about angry white women too Uh, i think that's really important like being a white person that being in that position of power and and what that looks like and and also this summer i read the color purple by alice walker and it was crazy good really inspiring really sad really tragic but also like super amazing i think i i read it when i was on the plane flying to ecuador and i like openly sobbed in the what is it cabin the cabin of the plane. I will say, crying in public is one of the most emotionally um, cathartic things that you can honestly do. <laughs> in terms of uh, therapy and price. I don't know what psychologists would say about that, <laughs> but I think last time we made a podcast, we had just come back from watching. Um, we were having a really bad day, and so we decided to go to the movies to like see something that was um, gonna make us feel better, and so we decided to go see Shape of Water. We were, yeah, yeah, the Guillermo del Toro film, Shape of Water. It was really good. It was also very sad. Also, exactly what we did not need to see that day. And Miriam ended up sobbing in the theater quite loudly. And we also ran into a friend from high school who was, like, super supportive of it. And I, she was like, I just wish I could sob in public like that. It wasn't loud crying, per se. It was just, it was just, like, very, like, it was, like, clearly the movie was sad. But also, I think people could tell that this crying was, like, maybe perhaps beyond what the movie was about. Just some open sobs. It's really great. It's really a good feeling to do. It is. It is. I can attest to that. Um, Been there. Done that many a time. Um, Cool. So, I don't think I have any other, I feel like I had one more recommendation i don't know queer eye season two is amazing shows i watched la casa de las flores the house of flowers on netflix is awesome um it's in spanish but you can watch with english subtitles also um there's a new season of great british bake-off which is amazing i love all the contestants but they they just smacked the mic out of my hand (laughs) they got uh they got rid of the best people on the fucking show which are the hosts uh mary they're so great Fuck Paul Hollywood. I miss Mary Berry. Prue is okay, but I also, uh, yeah, I'm going to get there. Jeez, Mel and Sue, my favorite lesbian host. I I think only one of them is gay, but they have these two new really annoying hosts, and one of them is this tall guy that looks like he's wearing a wig. He's really annoying. Okay, you know what I think he looks like? Because I was watching it with Amy, and I was like, you know what this guy looks like? Because we both were like, this is just a weird looking guy, and I realize it's mean, and I realize I'm being mean, and I apologize. He looks like just your, like, walk the mill magician. (laughs) Walk at the mill. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. You're the <laughs> no, that's so true. He absolutely does. Like, like a just like the hair. Like, oh, like For a, sure. Like a Joe Bluth magician. <laughs> Who the fuck is Joe? Oh. <laughs> For Arrested Development. Yeah, no, like, absolutely. Like, he just, I don't know. And that's so I don't. so funny. I just can't. I just couldn't get on board with his character. And then yeah, the he's ob- not like it's such forced humor. Whereas like when Mel and Sue did it, it was like, oh, this is cheesy and campy and funny. But like when men do it, I'm like, literally get the fuck out of here. You yeah, I mean, yeah. And then also the other woman host, I just like get her confused with the judge, and so I like don't know who's who because also, they're just like every, old white women. Every old white British woman kind of does look the same. I guess that's what we're gonna look like in like sixty years. Yeah, yeah. But we're 
pretty regular looking white people, so. At least I'm not blonde. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that was the rudest thing you've ever said to me. Because they all have like white hair when they get old and I feel like they? I, they, old white people. Old blonde people? Yes. Sure. You're going to have white hair when you're old too. What? Yeah, that's true. But I'm just going to fucking cut it all off. It already is cut off. Okay, so I realized that the last two podcasts and the only two podcasts <laughs> that we have ever done. Well, I I do want to say first that like I listened to them over the summer because my kids, some of my students were like, I I don't know, they asked me about it. It was really cute, and she said that she listened to them when she was missing home, which I think is really fucking adorable. Okay, but also my kids asked about them, and I just wanted to like listen to because they're like, hey, can we listen to them? And I was like. Well, let me listen to them first because, and I, I swore way more than I wanted to. So I'm going to try to work on my language and be a professional adult and we'll see how that goes. And then also, I don't know. I just, I mean, like we are obviously really new to this and we're not doing everything really perfectly, obviously. But, um, I guess I wish that we talked about race a little bit more when we talked about, uh, the toxic masculinity episode. And I think we both didn't speak on that because we didn't super feel qualified to talk about race in the way that we should have. I don't know. But after listening to it again, I was like, man, that's like such an important part because power dynamic. I mean, like race is such a big part of power dynamics and toxic masculinity. And that's why I think that angry white men kind of fills in the blank. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I mean, toxic masculinity goes across races and ethnicities, but I don't know. It's just, I think being white just adds a whole new dynamic to that already instituted like uh patriarch patriarchal system that we have right now so I guess I I don't know if I want to apologize or just kind of like acknowledge that you know we definitely should have included that more and that should have been a bigger part of the discussion I don't know that's how I feel we could have a corrections corner like on my favorite murder <laughs> okay this bitch is so obsessed with my favorite murder now and it's fine but i was only recommending it to her for like the entire last year and i listened to all of it and now every single time we hang out she's listened to it literally probably like twice and she's like i no, love I listened, i've listened to like at this point like 40 episodes and um obsessed much i'm yeah it's really fucking good and it's a great podcast and i recommend it to everyone but i just love it because the women are so funny and so Miriam had recommended to me for a very long time. She then, never listens to my recommendation. I do. But I was like, I have some other podcasts that I need to get through first. But then I also just wasn't listening to podcasts very much. So the only time I could really get into it was this summer, which is when I finally did get into it. But she was in Ecuador the whole time. So I listened to it a lot without her because that was the only way we could do it. And so then I found out I loved it and I talked to her about it a lot. And she's still mean about it. No, I'm only mean about it because I used to talk about it a lot and like make I references. Didn't watch it then. I was still in school. I know, but you don't watch it, bitch. <laughs> We'll fucking listen to it <laughs> but like the, i'm just saying like i i feel like you gave me a hard time and so now i'm like well now i've recommended it to like everyone i know so you can feel justified yeah i guess it's just not as satisfying as i wanted it to be <laughs> <laughs> okay so this episode is going to be titled potentially where are they now investigating the lives of the abusers of the hashtag me too movement I want everyone to know that this is typed up on a Google Doc that Miriam made just so that we could be more organized. Look, I <clears throat> I cannot talk about this with you right now. It's fine. I just need to be organized and this bitch doesn't want to write anything down. Um, okay, so we had talked about the Me Too movement, I think in our first episode. I think it was our first episode. Um, on a, the Aziz Ansari scandal in the first episode because that was like when it had pretty recently been breaking news. 
So basically what we wanted to do is follow up on those last two podcasts, talk about it's, it's a very similar subject, but sort of look at where these men are now, what they're doing in their lives, what sort of justice, justice they have or have not seen um, and what that justice does or should look like. Um, so we're obviously not going to be able to talk about all the men uh, that are a part of the Me Too movement um, and that the I'm sorry, the abusers who are part of the Me Too movement. <laughs> Um, but we just sort of wanted to talk about a few of them. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, I don't really have anything to add to that, except I think it'll be an interesting subject. And we are also going to follow up on the Aziz Ansari topic that we talked about in the first one, because, um, well, we'll get to that, but he didn't really face any. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) It's really hard to switch the mic over. We're really, (laughs) it's just like this mic just like. I'm going to like hit you with it and then like by the end of this podcast, I'm sure on accident, of course. <clears throat> okay. So obviously Harvey Weinstein is sort of the biggest face of the Me Too movement and that he's one of the biggest um, of the abusers of the Me Too movement. So October 7th, uh, 2017 was when that first article was published from the New York Times um, that had so many accusations against Weinstein for sexual misconduct, abuse. Uh, criminal sex acts, all those terrible things. Um, I think three days later, his wife announced his wife has announced her divorce from him. Um, and then following that, uh, we see a lot of drops from, I mean, he's fired. He's not allowed to go to the, uh, Oscar, all the award shows. So basically we just kind of want to look into what he's doing now. Cause we see, you know, he's fired. He can't go to all these shows. He's, his reputation is marred. Okay. So basically we want to follow up and see where he is now, what he's doing, because we saw all these allegations against him. We saw the ways that in which he's really, really affected all these women's lives and, and the negative impact he's had and his power in Hollywood and, and the, producing community and so we wanted to look at where he is now what sort of justice has been served if any has been and what that trial looks like um so basically did some research um on may 25th which is not that gosh i guess time be flying but um i was like that's not that long ago like that was a couple months ago Yeah, but on May 25th, 2018, Weinstein was charged by New York prosecutors with rape, criminal sex act, sex abuse, and sexual misconducts for incidents involving two separate women. So it's kind of crazy because I think that list on that the New York Times originally posted was over 80 women, um, but he's only being charged for, at least on May 5th, he was, or I'm sorry, 25th, he was only charged for two women. Quick note, if you look up his Wikipedia page, the list of women that have, uh, alleged abuse from him is like i think 90 and then the list of women that have alleged that they were raped by him is like 10 or 15 like it's a ridiculous number yeah and becca and i when we were looking at that we were kind of like um that's probably not even all the women you know which i think is the really tough part um it's said that if he's convicted on the most serious charges he could face between five and 25 years in prison um you know he was arrested but on the same day released on a million dollar cash bail so, you know, it's just kind of crazy to see the way our criminal justice system works or doesn't work. And, and that, like, you, if you have money and privilege, you can um, get the fuck out. Um, but basically just it's insane the way that people who have money and power can really maneuver the criminal justice system. It is truly disheartening. So and then following that in July 2018, so just two short months later, he was indicted on an additional charge of predatory sex- predatory sexual assault against a woman he allegedly 
forced into oral sex in 2006. And that charge has a maximum sentence of life in prison. Um, he has pled not guilty to all of these crimes. I think he apologized to maybe one woman, like kind of half-heartedly. Um, he has acknowledged a lot of the abusive allegations, um, but he is continuing to plead not guilty to the crimes. Um, he has been in and out of Arizona, primarily out of treatment for sex addiction. He's going under anger management therapy. Which is also scary because that wasn't even really part of it but it's just like wow men really be out here yeah men really be angry and out here (laughs) um but i read a little bit about his time in arizona and his this this wild oh shoot i already like camp meadow or something this sex rehab place and and the article was talking about how it's even harder when they receive celebrities because they have to convince the celebrities they're just the same as everyone else and they're just these people that have addictions and like and it was kind of a wild article um but he did not stay the entire time also guess how much it cost for 45 days uh like sixty thousand. Oh well you made it sound really bad that's still so much money sixty thousand dollars is like three four years of college yeah no but i'm saying a hollywood producer that's like literally like piss uh, like that's yeah that's piss money whatever they call it whatever the fuck it is but like that's not anything to him no but i know that like that's not the point the point is just like to go to this fucking like sex rehab place it costs also, like the issue, a year's salary you know? if we're gonna be talking about like rape and assault like the issue isn't like he's just trying to deflect attention from this but like the issue is not the fact that you are or are not addicted to sex the issue is that you're using your power it over like women and the people that you're supposed to be i don't, I don't know the people you're supposed to be guiding and helping and like ha- like you're in charge of their job and you're just using that power to fuck them over and like to get what you want from them and that's not a sex addiction that's just a being a fucking creepy pervy dude Right, and just abusing your power and using whatever means you have to get what you want. Right, because they're trying to make it seem like it's all about sex and it's all about this stupid fucking addiction or whatever, but, like, you can be addicted to sex and do whatever the fuck you want. Like, I don't really give a shit, but the thing is, like, you feel entitled to use... Like, it's not about sex. It's about power, and it's about the dynamics you have with the people that you work with. Right, right. So it's kind of crazy just reading everything that has happened with him this past year he will go to trial again as we know the justice system works crazy slow so um you know things have happened but um you know has justice really been served has will he get what he deserves what what does he deserve um and we'll get to that after we finish talking about a couple other uh men or abusers of the me too movement back up yeah so i kind of wanted to follow up on aziz ansari because he was who we talked about in the first podcast and um <laughs> um because I think it's important to talk about the way in which his case was a little bit different from everyone else's because he didn't necessarily have like accusers and he didn't have to go through a legal system because she wasn't really alleging sexual assault or sexual abuse or anything like that it was just kind of an op-ed narrative story about the way in which Aziz Ansari made this woman that he went on a date with feel like extremely uncomfortable and feel as if her boundaries were not being respected and people got kind of upset about that because they thought that his name was being dragged through the mud for no reason because it wasn't anything that he did wasn't illegal and it was okay, therefore. But um, I think it's important to talk about the ways in which just like men... Sorry, Miriam's correcting my microphone holding. The ways in which men feel like they can act. And like, so I don't know. It's just an enlightening, like almost like as a social op-ed piece, not so much as a part of like this whole sexual abuse thing, but just men feel like they can act that way and they don't realize that it's they don't need to take into account other people's feelings which is uh kind of fucked up 
and only feeds into this system of, you know, using your power over people to gain sexual favors. I'm not speaking very well at this moment, so we can edit this out. But, um, jeez. And so in terms of, like, where they are now, he really didn't face, like, he faced a lot of, like, backlash. But obviously, since it wasn't a legal matter, he didn't face a lot. Like, he didn't have any, like, um, legal allegations. So he didn't have to go to court, didn't do anything like that. I think maybe, like, people, there were a couple articles, yeah, I think it was generally just public outcry, and he actually had, like, shortly after, like, a week after the um, article on babe.com, or babe.net, I think that was an argument we had last time, it's babe.net, yeah, Miriam's nodding, um, after that was released, a week after that, he did, like, five different surprise stand-up shows in New York City, and I don't, and he was, like, still able to do that and didn't face any issues. And uh, Netflix has also said that they would be happy to make another season of his, the show that he stars in, and I think writes for, which is called Master of None. And so, just an update on him, that he basically has not faced much out backlash, except for, you know, public outcry. <sighs> yeah. So, um, that's kind of what has been going on with Aziz. Again, these are just one of many, 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 many uh, men who have been uh, accused of who have been accused of sexual assault within that Me Too movement. Um, we also have heard about Louis C.K. coming up into the news uh, cycle again recently with doing sort of surprising random uh, shows at co- uh, comedy clubs, I think in New York. Is that right? I'm not sure, but I think that he... I'm, I'm going to say this totally wrong, but Roxanne Gay wrote a really good article about him, and basically people are like, oh, he did his time after like less than a year of being like apparently sorry. Yeah, and I think a lot of men have sort of taken his side and been like, oh, he's, uh, you know, how much time off screen does he, like, you know, didn't he serve his time? Like Becca said, you know, like, didn't isn't that enough? Like, he got publicly shamed. Like, that's enough. And it's like, he had a massive impact or, I mean, we don't really know the extent of his impact on the women to whom he exposed himself to. Fuck. Yeah, no, to whom he exposed, exposed himself. I know. That's why I said fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but... You know, like, that's a kind, I mean, that's a good question to ask. Like, how long is long enough? And, and what, um, I mean, what is the impact of his return? And what does that say about the men in media and the men in comedy? So, um, there's definitely a lot, been a lot of discussion about Louis C.K. as well. And that's sort of what incited this, um, podcast because we, we wanted to just talk about, you know, where are these men now? What are they doing? And, and why are they allowed back in the, in the sphere? Um, the sphere, the sphere <laughs> into the reality. sphere where people go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also wanted to, this is kind of just a side note, but um, I didn't know before today that Garrison Keillor was accused of sexual abuse. And he is the man behind the Prairie Home Companion series on NPR every like Saturday and Sunday or whatever it is. And I don't know, I, I felt slightly betrayed since that was a huge part of my childhood. I'd always listened to that with my parents growing up. And, um, so it turns out everyone, even all your childhood years, are creepy perverts. And he, I don't think he faced any legal allegations either. But um, he I, he was fired from Perry Home Companion. They found a new host and they renamed the show. But I think that he's still producing. So Garrison Keillor is trying to continue producing. He wants to bring back a writer's almanac, which... Uh, was a big show in 1993. It started in 1993 uh, that he hosted. It was a daily uh, five-minute program um, on NPR. 
uh, he has not yet been able to do that successfully. That was as of April 2018. Um, and so he is now still currently facing uh, the repercussions of having his uh, having sexual uh, abuse accusations uh, alleged against him. Um, okay, so there's a really good article on the New York Times by Roxanne Gay. If you don't know who she is, she's amazing. Um, so I'm going to read a couple quotes from it because a couple quotes, citas, if you will. So she says, I have to believe there is a path to redemption for people who have done wrong, but nine months of self-imposed exile and financial comfort is not a point along that path. It is far too soon for any of the men who has faced the marginal consequences born of the hashtag me too movement to think about redemption. People love a comeback narrative and they, and all too often they yearn for this narrative at the expense of victims who are only beginning to reconcile with their suffering. So, um, it's, I mean, I think she has like such good points and it's a really good article. Um, go check it out on New York times. I think she has it on her Twitter and whatnot as well. Um, but just sort of like exploring, you know, what is that? What does that look like for them to come back into the arena? I guess that's what I meant instead of sphere. And, you know, Roxane Gay talks about how sexual violence and and victims of sexual violence, they um, have to deal with the repercussions of that abuse or that violence for the entirety of their lives for the most part. And so, um, you know, it's a really hard thing to sort of decide, you know, what do these men deserve? Roxane Gay says, you know, I'd like for them to endure what a lot of women had to endure. You know, like, you know, you want sort of that vengeful, uh, justice, but is that right? You know, what's, what's, what's best for our culture? What's best for society? What's best for, uh, change and moving forward and trying to create an environment in which women can feel safe in their workplaces and can feel safe like walking down the street at night. So there's just so much going into this. Um, Becca, over to you. I think we're doing a really great job of not interrupting each other. Um, we have to because we're sharing them. Right, obviously. But if you want to see how it feels when we are, are interrupting each other, go back and listen to the other previous podcast. Oh, yeah. It's just constant talking over. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. But so um, this ties into what I was uh, hoping to talk about earlier, but then was vetoed. And so now I will bring up again that this kind of goes into the um, when we talk about rehabilitation and we talk about the prison system. If we are trying to send these men to prison, but we are also not trying to incorporate this whole concept of rehabilitation, obviously Louis C.K. did not go to prison and did not really serve any time there. But if we're going to talk about rehabilitation, we need to talk about the ways in which prison does not serve to rehabilitate men who are accused of sexual assault. And so if we're sending predators to prison, what are we hoping to do when they get out? Are we supposed to just continue to ostracize them? Ostracize them? Does this mean that their lives need to be over or at least their public lives are over? What do they deserve? And so uh, what article was it that you were reading that was talking about? Okay, so Miriam is going to talk about this and introduce it. And then I also want to talk about it too. Yeah. No, I just, I mean, I think that's just the next part of this podcast and the next part of this discussion is, right? So, you know, we have all these men have who have, who've uh done all these really crappy things so what's the solution what are our expectations for them what does justice look like right so i checked out this website it's called ifwhenhow.org um and basically it's a national network of law students and legal professionals from all backgrounds who know that reproductive justice doesn't just happen um and they had a really interesting article on uh uh, vi- justice for sexual violence and what that looks like through the criminal justice system. And so I wanted to read a quote on that really quickly. Um, we must reframe what justice and healing can look like for both victims of sexual violence and those who commit that violence. The American legal system has many pitfalls, chief among them, its inability to solve systemic issues. So, um, 
I mean, in this article, she, the, uh, the if, when, how board president Dina Robinson talks about, um, the cycle of abuse and, and how, um, that's continued by perpetrators and victims and how it's just really tragic. And so is our criminal justice system, is it, is it solving that problem? Is, is putting someone in prison is, is, you know, imposing fines upon people. Is that, is that, uh, providing any sort of solution? Um, yeah. So basically what we, what we wanted to talk about was, um, if this issue, the whole Me Too movement, isn't going to find a solution in the criminal justice system, what would a solution outside of the criminal justice system look like? Okay, so it's basically framing the Me Too movement as an alternative to going through the justice system because for some reason in this cultural climate, whatever it was, when women were alleging sexual abuse had happened by some man, people were finally listening to them and believing them. And for the most part... These men faced some sort of consequences if they were in the public arena. Um, Harvey Weinstein lost his job. A bunch of other men have lost their jobs. They faced penalties. They faced fines. Things like that. And so we were trying to question and maybe explore the topic of what justice looks like if we are not operating within this criminal justice system, which clearly has its uh, downfalls, has its setbacks, and has its limitations in terms of dealing with rape and sexual assault and handling it in a way which rehabilitates the men who are doing this and also serves justice to the women who are victimized by this yeah i think um if when Howe's article on this has a really good quote about that um it says our criminal justice system is not even really about justice or fairness our criminal justice system is about consequences and punishment um and so you know taking that into consideration and what everything becca said you know is is that really a solution? And if not, um, is the Me Too movement, is that form of sort of, I think humiliating is a strong word, but sort of outing these abusers, um, is that is that justice? And is that enough? Um, I would say no. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, I think it's really important, obviously. And I think it's like the first step. And I think, I think something that's super important that ties into that is this whole concept of believing the women because I've heard from a bunch of people, you know, stupid Facebook, you know, article shares and statuses and stuff like that about people who are outraged that these men are facing consequences without having gone through the criminal justice system. And they're mad that these, they believe that women are making up these claims in order to gain some sort of, you know, 15 minutes of fame just to get some sort of, you know, money out of men, which I think is frankly ridiculous because why would you put yourself in that kind of embarrassing position to say, oh, I was assaulted, I was raped. And then men are just assuming that you're lying for money or fame. Like, that's kind of ridiculous. Well, I mean, and also this article touches on that case with Brock Turner. I don't I don't even know how many years ago that was. It feels like yesterday. Um, but just that he didn't even spend any real time in prison. But, like, no, three months. No, like he didn't, even spend, he didn't even spend his entire... He was sentenced to, like, a very measly amount of time in prison and then didn't even end up spending that much time. It was, like, three months or something that he spent. Right. And, and, you know, paired with that, you have, um, uh, a lit, so a similar, similarly situated Latino man who also sexually assaulted his female roommate was sentenced to three years in, in prison. So you see the way in which race and power and money and status and privilege play such a huge role in the justice system and how the justice system in America has historically and systematically incarcerated brown and black people for the entirety of his existence. So can we really trust this really shitty system who who rejects 
or incarcerates on um, such a high and rampant level uh, brown and black people and then also that treats women like really terribly can we trust the system to treat these men who are mostly white and in major positions of power um, fairly and you know what is even fairness and does that exist but that's a different conversation but it's just a lot to consider and a lot to think about and I think um, like questions are part of like making that solution and finding a solution like I mean obviously me and Becca don't have answers to all these questions but just asking them and getting to that point where it's like we're just not going to accept this as reality and we're not going to accept these um, like we're not going to accept the criminal justice system as like the ultimate solution for um, handling you know sexual violence or any I don't know lots of different crimes but um yeah but like asking these questions like what can be done and we need to start thinking we need to start gathering and like getting shit done um huge mood and also um I think where I was going when I lost my train of thought was the idea that people are always like oh but the American justice system is all about being innocent until proven guilty and they feel that these men have not been given a quote-unquote fair trial because they haven't gone through the justice system but if we're if we are questioning the success of the justice system, then it's not really a matter of whether or not they got a fair trial and whether or not we should believe them innocent until proven guilty. Obviously, it's important to have evidence and it's important to prove beyond, you know, reasonable doubt that these events did occur and that they had, you know, malintent when they did these things. But also, the actual point here is that we need to make sure women feel safe in their work environments and we need to make sure women feel safe in their lives. And I think that that is slightly more important than making sure that men have given, been given a fair trial in the criminal justice system. Um, that's probably a hot take and controversial, but there it is. Hot take. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So, um, lots going on a lot to think about. I mean, there's so many other more men that we haven't even touched on that, um, were such a big part of, uh, that we're, you know, we're accused during, uh, the me too movement. Just to mention it offhand, the, I was looking at this article on glamour.com, but it is actually in the actual, it's a very well-researched article called every powerful man facing structural harassment allegations by glamour. Published June 15th, 2018. Um, it's got a very exhaustive list of powerful men, not even just the men in Hollywood, but also CEOs and public newscasters and things like that who have been facing allegations. And it also goes through who has alleged these allegations. It goes into um, the allegations they're facing and what has happened since the allegations. And so that kind of goes into the following up with how the justice system is playing into this and the repercussions that they faced and whether or not they are quote unquote just. And I mean, this is just to add on, but like the fact that we have, and I will always go back to this, but the fact that we have a president sitting in office who has pretty fucking much openly admitted to, or just, we, we know that he sexually assaulted women and that um, the American public has accepted that with such, with such what? Don't give open arms right right and, and and just that i mean that's who's representing our country right now so you know do we really care about women right that's how we're saying this is how much we care about women fucking zero because the man who is sitting in office as the number one most powerful man of like the you know what they say free world but fuck that you know right. i mean look at everyone in in the white house right now look at all these you know really shitty senators that we have and and congress and i mean god we have brett kavanaugh kavanaugh who's about to 
Brett Kavanaugh, I can never say his last name right. Brett Kavanaugh, who's about to, you know, go become uh, a Supreme Court justice. I mean, these are insane. Like these, it's 2018. You know, we have, we should have higher expectations for the leaders of our nation. But I mean, obviously women's issues are not at the forefront. I mean, people do not care about reproductive justice. People do not care about sexual violence. People do not care about domestic violence. And it is truly disheartening. And it's also easy for me and Becca to talk about this because we are like white privileged women. You know, we have access to healthcare. We have access to um, reproductive things if we need them. LOL. <laughs> um, I don't. For the record, we've never had. Um, and then <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but basically, <laughs> but but I I mean like it's, it's I realize I'm talking about this from a very privileged standpoint, and so I want to recognize that because I haven't had to. F- I haven't had to like have this sort of the same obstacles and challenges as like many other women who are impoverished, who aren't white, who, um, you know, are trans or disabled or so I just kind of want to recognize that because I'm angry and I'm pretty fucking privileged. So, right. So it's always important to recognize your privilege. And I just want to say also that there are many ways in which we are also vulnerable because we are women. Granted, we are white women, so we do have that privilege. But I think um, it's also important just to use a slightly different word because I'm an anthropology snob. And so, you, like, I just recognizing your positionality on the issue and the way that you're going to look at it and the way that you're simultaneously disadvantaged and advantaged by, you know, your placement within the system. And I think it's important to uh, recognize all aspects of that, that we are scared because we are women and we want to create a better world for ourselves and for our children and for our friends and our loved ones. But we also need to use our privilege to create that world. Right. That was really well said. Thank you, Becca. Um, Yeah. So, you know, we're continuously bummed out by the state of the nation. Um, And on that note. And on that note goodbye good luck staying alive in florence i'm gonna feel really bad if like it's really bad i'm very nervous they're saying it's gonna be worse than like hugo and all that and i kind of believe it and also i'm very scared of global warming and do what i know yeah it's supposed to be headed towards charlotte and so my classes are canceled at 5 p.m tonight which it bitch my classes have been canceled all week she goes she lives in wilmington so she's they had to get the fuck out. So, Charlotte, we're not even really sure if it's going to happen yet, but I'm just kind of scared that it's going to flood. And also, I live on the ground floor of a really pretty shitty apartment building. And so, if I don't make another podcast, you know why. Yeah. Um, rip, Becca. <laughs> um, but honestly, I feel that so hard. I was not completely aware of the intensity of this hurricane. Like, I think on Sunday. I, I just need to say this because I texted this bitch on, like, Saturday or Sunday. And I was like, yo, there's a hurricane. Like, are you Gucci? And she was like, oh, there's a hurricane. <laughs> okay, well, I was like, I kind of, I, I didn't know about it until literally you texted me. And then on Sunday, my parents started texting me about it. And they're like, Miriam, you should, like, come home. And I was like, I'm not coming home. I'm going to sit this thing out. Because we have, like, multiple hur- hurricanes in Wilmington every year. And granted, yes, basements flood and trees fall down. And, you know, we can't go to class. But it's, like, fun and you fun and fine um you can kayak down uh water street right on wrightsville beach it's super fun i actually have never done that actually a lot of the water is pretty contaminated and when i was an ra i yelled at all my residents for swimming in contaminated water because they're so gross and so smelly also shout out to wilmington for having chemicals in their water gen x uh you drink that shit you're gonna get cancer bitch i've been buying reverse osmosis water at whole foods so (laughs) i am trying to be a better person but i drink it so quickly (laughs) like i have to refill every week the reverse osmosis water did you leave that your fancy water from whole foods in wilmington well, it's empty, so, I mean, it's like a five-gallon bath. That's crazy. You drink five gallons in a week? Well, me and Joseph. Oh, 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 oh. But, um, 
oh i don't even oh i'm also very worried about my apartment because or it's a house and it's old as crap and i like put my bike in my room but i'm, I'm worried about it i'm worried it's gonna flood it probably is everything i own is gonna be destroyed i'm nervous but also it might be fine it might be fine but i did just buy that bike and i have all my books there and my new nat mattress i guess i mentioned this at the beginning it's like every waking moment i'm worrying about it but it's fine <laughs> Not really. I'm fine. It's not a big deal. It's oh, shout out. Okay. Uh, do we want to say like one happy thing before we end? What's a you know bless? Um, one happy thing to end this podcast is. I will say that I am. I'm happy that Miriam had to evacuate because now I can spend the week with my friend and we can chill and she doesn't have to worry about school and. Aww. I know. I'm really cute. It's no. It's no big deal. Um. It'll be fun, and she has only been to my apartment in Charlotte, like, a couple times, because I haven't even lived there that long, so she's actually come and visited, like, a fair amount of times, but I'm excited that she can hopefully come down. Maybe we will not get flooded out, and we can spend some storm time together, and it'll be chill. Becca's saying that, but I'm going to tell her right now <laughs> I'm not coming down, because this bitch is not hurricane ready. My parents have two backup generators ready. They have lanterns out. There are batteries everywhere. We have gallons and gallons of water, and I'm not trying to, like, die of dehydration in Charlotte with David, with, uh... And Davidson with Becca. But maybe I will, depending on how bad the storms are. All right. Um, my happy thing will be... Oh, you know what I'm going to plug? This is what my happy thing is. Becca and I have possibly made the best compilation co- collaborative oh, playlist wow. of all time. No, it's like, all right. No, it's very good. It is very good. Um, if you're, so it's called Becca and Miriam's Emo Summer Bangers with a Z. And it is on Spotify and it's just a collaborative playlist that we've worked on together. And it's just basically a bunch of angry emo music. Um, I will say that it is a wonderful collection of some very angsty songs. They're great uh, for summer depression, moving into the fall depression. It's just a great collection of songs. I really personally have been listening to it a lot. I really love it. I think there's 30 something songs. But since it's since it is collaborative, we are not sure how to make it public. We are also very bad at using our phones, and so we will drop the link to you in the uh, description or whatever it's called of this podcast. It's really great, and I really hope y'all listen to it. It's got some some true bangers on there, so I, I'm glad she decided to shout it out. I would say my one of our two highlight songs of the play is are "If It Makes You Happy" by Michael Sarah Palin, That's a great one. and a Cheryl Crow cover song. So you know it's got to be good. <laughs> and uh fucking using my sorority oh, noise such a banger and then i will say coming soon as becca and i have promised we're making a collaborative playlist on all the songs drake has ever featured in so look forward to that coming soon fall 2018 and just to be a little more specific we are going to make a miriam and becca's fall emo bangers playlist so just be on the lookout for that as well we're just producing playlists now we're quitting our daytime jobs this is becoming a <laughs> quitting our podcasting jobs to become full-on spotify playlist makers thank you very much bye bye wait let me change that. <laughs> bye. No, let me change it again um bye 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 <laughs>